0: This is Asia's Farm to Fork Five Good Questions podcast, bringing you insights and views from across Asia's food value chain. Now, for today's interview. Hi, everybody. I'm Duke Kip host of Asia's Farm to Fork Five Good Questions podcast. Very excited to have our first uh, episode of the new year. And with that, we're excited about having a very special guest um, and frankly, hard to believe our first farmer on the podcast. So we went straight to the top to get to get the best farmer from the region to get us on the right track there. We have with us uh, Adriel Dave A.D. Alvarez, farmer within the region here in the Philippines and is a member also of the Global Farmer Network. Hi, A.D., how are you? I'm good, thank you
1: for having me on your show.
0: Excellent, we'll get started uh, straight away. Uh, and first question, I'm I make, yeah, make sure to jump in because it's really a question about you and your journey which is not necessarily typical, I think. And so looking forward to hearing about that. As I said, this is the first podcast of the year. Hard to believe first farmer we've had on the podcast. And um, I like to, in the spirit of sort of beginnings in a new year, new season. Maybe understand a little bit better about your past and your career path that you took uh, that brought you to this point in farming and uh, share a little bit about yourself. I know it did, you didn't start necessarily on the farm or didn't start in farming, but um but maybe a bit about your journey and also about the Global Farmer Network. That's something that uh, we've yet to to get into as well.
1: I was a microfinance executive for 10 years. That was the last job I have. And in microfinance, uh, to some people, they know it as a poverty alleviation banking, wherein we look at uh, uh, developmental work using lending and financing, uh, using non-traditional banking principles of uh, unsecured loan, so that's what the microfinance does. But after 10 years, I was uh, visiting a place called Camotes Islands in the Philippines, where our farm was. And many times when we do the journey, we would notice a lot of poverty in agriculture and among farmers. And That's why 14 years ago now, we decided to be a farmer, to be more grounded on finding solutions on poverty in agriculture. Because uh, if you're just from the outside, There will be many theories that you would think would be the problem, but it's different when you are on the ground and you're trying to find a solution for the poverty in agriculture. And hopefully, I could do something while I can. And then I became a member of the Global Farmer, but before that, I was first a member of the Cornell Alliance for Science back in 2017. Um, I was invited as a farmer leader, to attend the uh, first uh, training among farmers in Illinois. And that's where I first met uh, Mary Boat uh, Rot from the Global Farmer. And in 2018, I was invited to join the Global Farmer Network in the World Food Prize in uh, Demo, in Iowa. That's how I got uh, started with Global Farmer. And by the way, Global Farmer is a special group of farmers coming from around the world that speak about technology, trade, and Farming advocacies, so that's how I would put my story in brief. But uh, if you have time, we could have more <laughs> discussions about
0: my backstory. And that's that's a great place to start. Well, you know, with well, the next question, I really it's sort of is a like a next step this um this conversation, and uh, it gets into sort of again maybe an unconventional. Uh, path that you took to get to this point, certainly. Um, and as we uh, look at the current landscape and, uh, of farmers that are out there, it's hard to dispute that there is a there's an aging that's going on with the farmer um, landscape, at least across Asia Pacific. And it, it, it's a tough job, More of the most important jobs. It's also one of the toughest jobs. And so it's not necessarily on top of the list necessarily for career paths of so a lot of the younger generation members out there today and th- what they're embarking on. So from your perspective, again, which is a very unique perspective, are there some ways that you can think of uh, or you think it's important at all as far as making farming more attractive to that next generation?
1: Uh, it certainly is a big concern among the farming community in Asia. As we look at the demographics, we have an aging membership in the farmers group in Asia. And one of the things that I'm also involved in in the Philippines is I'm the member of the Philippine Maize Federation. I am uh, currently a board member and also serves as the secretary of the board. And uh, this gets me more involved in interacting with the department of agriculture and see the problem from top and while also on the ground. And here's what, what I see in relation to your question. Um, Asia agriculture are mostly small scale farmers because of economic challenges are high due to inefficiency and limited leverage of small scales. And, um, because of that lower leverage. Capital access are limited due to perceived high risk and exposure uh, with small scale. And leverage is everything in in trying to access capital. And I see that as a big problem. And and because of that, in Asia, we can make ag attractive if we show that it's a good livelihood. That's the normal thing. Anywhere in the world, if you see uh, agriculture career is a good uh, option, if it is a um, livelihood that people can survive on. But then that's the challenge, a special challenge in small scale agriculture in Asia, because in the absence of those leverage, it's really hard to get the younger ones to go in and to sustain the older ones. And that's why we see a lot of migration from Asia going to other more advanced agricultural places among uh, agriculture workers. But I think what we can do is uh, we can create programs of consolidation, either by cooperatives or subcontracting systems. When I say that uh, small scale can still be small scale, but there should be some point of consolidation. And when I say consolidation, we don't need to. one one owner for big chunks of land. It can still be small scale holders. And and by doing that, we can be creative and uh, we can make more leverage in terms of the volume we can produce as a consolidated group of farmers. And that will make it uh, financially attractive. It will open up a lot of opportunities for access to capital. And uh, if we cannot create those leverage uh, naturally, there will be limitations for small scale. Uh, so long as we still think that we can do it alone in small scales, uh, there there will be a big gap. And if without consolidating, we, we will find uh, lesser younger generations going in, into uh, agriculture because that's just natural and logical. If there's no money in it, why would they go into it? They have to secure their own future as well. So another thing we I see a lot in Asia is uh, the subsidies and uh, things like that, that the government extension work are doing. There's problem with subsidies. Subsidies are sometimes helpful, but not effective in the most uh, cases in the long run. Remember, I came from a microfinance background. Uh, dole out will not uh, create an environment of entrepreneur. Well, uh, a better alternative for subsidies is we create uh, incentive systems instead of subsidy. Like what's happening in Japan, instead of giving them incentives on seeds and fertilizer, they would give incentives at the end of the production. And those who are really uh, on the go will uh, really uh, find ways to keep and increase their production because if they increase their production, they will get a higher incentive, not subsidy. So that's an alternative solution. Yeah. But again, the overarching need to create a younger generation to go into this uh, agriculture is uh, the need to create viable ecosystems that agriculture economies will thrive. Uh, uh, Small-scale operations cannot naturally do, do that unless uh, we accommodate small land holdings to so, consolidated systems.
0: Yeah. Thank you. It's a It's a great point. And I, as you're talking, I'm also thinking about the Global Farmer Network and the technology part of that as well. You mentioned earlier, maybe that's a bridge as well in, in creating those better outcomes and better, uh, you know, solutions and driving the bottom line, right, for farmers as well, I'm sure. Yes. Mm-hmm. So third question, moving right along here through the, through the interview. You and I met face-to-face in Jakarta last year, and I remember having a conversation about climate change. You were part of a panel we had, and and uh, that's the question I want to get to next. I think uh, that discussion that's happening, of course, on a huge scale internationally by governments, private sector, civil society, but you know, not enough by farmers. And shame on everybody out there for not having enough conversations where farmers are part of those, those dialogues that are happening, particularly with food uh, production and food systems and the impact climate change is happening. So, here we are. Uh, fast forward to today, and we're having this chat, and I want to bring up the topic of climate change and really tee it up for you. Anything you can share from your experiences farming in this region, the front lines of climate change impact, what do you think is needed to help farmers like yourself really weather the storm? We're seeing, again, increased droughts, floods, weather events that are unexpected. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's it's really a difficult conversation sometimes when policymakers are, and uh What's happening on the ground when we talk about climate change? Because sometimes it becomes a controversial discussion. But uh, for farmers, we don't really like so much controversy because we're we're busy enough uh, trying to to grow a crop or get through our growing season. And sometimes, uh, the least expected, we will face with difficulty and challenges in the in the process. And then here comes the policymakers. They try to discuss things as if we're not doing enough. So that's that's a gap that uh, we need to keep on working on, and we need to have that constant discussion. And otherwise, we will see a lot more protests happening because of the disconnect. And that that's a shame because we need we need to work on the the details and the facts and uh, all those things. Now about climate change, it's really a serious matter of concern for everyone that is alive now, and especially for the future generations to come. I was watching a Neil deGrasse Tyson talking to Gavin Smith of NASA Goddard Institute on YouTube, and they were tracking that 2023 is the hottest recorded year based on their instruments. And that is scary to notice. And not much discussion is happening because, again, of that uh, protracted debate going on whether climate change is real or not. But these are data, these are the hard data that uh, we can see, and also from the ground uh, as a farmer. Uh, weather extreme happens and we encounter challenges and we see more plants having more stress than the usual. Uh, more stress means weaker crops, more disease, punjai, insects, and in short, uh, significant uh, drop in yield. And, and with uh, this uh, crazy food inflation happening, we cannot have a good price and we cannot have a good yield. That's a bad combination uh, for a farmer to, to reach the good bottom line. Now, th- the solution is uh, we need more outside-of-the-box approach uh, because the usual thing we do does not work anymore. We try to approach uh, farming that our poor fathers have done it that way, uh, thinking that it will happen the same way. It's it's not the same. There is a change happening in the environment that uh, we, we need to adopt. And one of the solutions we can think of is... Uh, We need more thinking out of the box approach like uh, the usual investment should be not any more usual, but we be more proactive uh, investment in technology, uh, especially in Asia. We think it's a tropical area, but still now with this extreme weather, even if we are a tropical country, we will uh, experience more extreme weather more drought and things like that and or over uh, abundance of rainwater. So, we need a more controlled environment like uh, greenhouses, irrigation, more biotechnology-developed crops that can handle the environmental pressures uh, and the advancement we're experiencing now with the NGTs. Um, The society must be made aware that farming in the past is very different from what farming is now. And we fail to do that. We fail to inform the public. Uh, The gap between farmers and consumers will further expand and there will be a wider disconnect. Uh, the disconnect is already happening. So we had to do more and um, really uh, approach it in a out of the box approach. And it's no longer farming as usual.
0: Thanks for that, Ada. So, I'm coming from you again, that means everything. I think it's a we need to have more conversations like this and platforms like you as well to be able to share that and share your perspective. The fourth question I have, you know, one of the things we talk a lot about, it comes up on this podcast quite a bit, is we talked about disconnect just a minute ago. And one of the things that we think is a disconnect, at least where I sit, is around technology, new technology and regulatory frameworks. You know, it no matter how great the technology is, if we don't have the regulatory framework so that actually farmers can, can access it and realize it and, and be able to utilize some of these tools, so what does it matter? So in that spirit of things, talking about ag tech innovation and in that regulatory space, i'm wondering if there maybe is a technology comes to mind for you that you think about that farmers would benefit from in this region in particular but for whatever reason access isn't there and and uh maybe your thoughts on on that
1: yeah i i do have something to share about that before i answer that i really want to commend what uh, crop life is doing in the uh connecting space because in this information drive. because you know in uh, uh places like asia where um, the economic challenges and the small landholders are predominant. People with that economic challenge will not naturally get information out there and connect with the policymakers. It's not natural. We're just trying to survive on our own and do our stuff. And that's what's happening. And with the help of CropLife, we we get to voice uh, more farmers' perspective, make more connection. You we're talking about the Jakarta meeting we had And I saw how disconnected uh, those uh, policies were on what's really happening on the ground. And because farmers will not be driven to connect and uh, share what's happening. It helps a lot when somebody is ushering that. Now, going back to your question, I think what is more uh, very important thing to do uh, is we need to make the information reach our policymakers and and, and the public. Uh, That's what I really want to say. Uh, we cannot just push without them. That's the tendency when we do things and uh, we neglect the policymakers and we neglect the public, uh, there will be a problem. Uh, we need them to get involved. We need them, farmers up there talking to them. You know, because there are so many plenty uh, examples of technologies that we need yesterday, but uh, are still jammed up in the pipeline due to this knowledge and information gaps, especially by our uh, policymakers. Uh, In the Philippines, you have the BT eggplant that is pending in court as of uh, this recording, and also the golden rice. Uh, It has been approved, but now there is a court case that suspends it or holds it down. And and there are so many technologies out there, like uh, we have that rice tolerant to saline water. Uh, We have drought tolerant corn, uh, also biotechnology on animals, better crops, protection, chemicals, there are so many examples, and each of these examples is a challenge to make the public understand that they are safe. Um, we need more science, more communication, and we need more effective farming. And uh, the information space really is where we need to work on on in this region. Because, again, like I said earlier, farmers in this region are a small scale, and uh, they're faced with their own challenges, and they don't naturally... Uh, Uh, get together and just to talk to policymakers unless somebody helps them to do that.
0: Great answer. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thanks for those kind words about crop life. And thanks for sharing your perspective. And again, I think I would say more of this in a higher level, more feedback from farmers, smallholders. You're right. It's a huge challenge for this region, the Denver smallholders region, and just helping at least provide uh, a platform where they can express some of those opinions as well. Well, a lot of tough topics, tough questions. Climate change, smallholder challenges, technology. We've covered a lot. Maybe we lighten up a little bit with the last questions to the fun topic of food. Um, mm-hmm. One of my favorite topics. We are grateful for the farmers in producing the food that we all love and depend on and, and, uh, and really enjoy, especially in the, fest, the festive time of the season, of the year, rather, in Asia. Is there one food that you think about when you think about your favorite food uh, among the many great choices here mm-hmm. in Asia?
1: Well, uh, for me, food is highly emotional, especially when I became a farmer. <laughs> to be to pick one in Asia as a favorite will uh, do no justice to our colorful, <laughs> diverse culture and cuisine, you know. So many Asian foods are the best in the world, you know. Uh, but for the sake of your question, uh, I would say I like adobo of the Philippines. But I also love Thai, Vietnamese, Indian, Italian, American food. Like you, I love food, so…
0: <laughs> yeah, you're right. There is an emotional connection. It's it's one of those things. What? Well, not only I'm not a farmer, but but you can have a certain dish, a certain food, and it evokes a certain memory. And adobo is a great answer. And then we haven't had that yet, so we'll chalk out one for adobo. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Ad. Thanks for this. With that, you're off, officially off the uh, five good questions hot seat. Thank you for doing this again today, and uh, hope to talk again soon. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast, and if you did, please rate, review, and subscribe. We look forward to bringing you another five good questions interview.